episode 35 of The Build. We're in our Sam Montembeau era, our Al Montoya age, our Charlie Lindgren and Alex Ald epoch, our Dustin Tokarski epoch even. Um, those are the last five guys to wear 35 from Montreal. They're all goalies, which is a little funny. Trivia question for you at home. Can you name the last non-goalie to wear 35? Thanks to Radic Bonk taking his preferred 14, it was Thomas Placanitz from 2004 to 2007. Um, I know that off the top of my head just because I played a lot of NHL 06, and I, as a rookie, he he was wearing uh, 35, and I always traded Radic Bonk so he could wear 14. Um, Placanitz, by the way, he's one of my all-time favorites. He's still crushing it in Chechia right now. 33 points in 37 games for the Kladno Knights. He's playing alongside Yarmir Yager, just like we all kind of wished he would um, in Montreal. Anyway, that tangent's gone on long enough. Um, I am recording this late Thursday night after the uh, Canadians-Panthers hockey game, if you would like to call it that. Um, I don't even have notes on that game because I had kind of anticipated this game being a non-factor entirely. And that's not what happened. Um, that was one of the... That felt a lot like... Um, remember that Boston-Montreal game from years ago? I'll, I'll remember another guy. The Benoit Pouliot Canadians. <laughs> that, that was when you know Carey Price and Tim Thomas fought. This wasn't quite to that level. But it was a tier below it. Um, it all started... It starts with the Canadians not... I mean, the special teams were just bad. They gave up four power play goals in the second period. You can talk about officiating. It's bad. It's always bad. I I've, I kind of always just bake that into the pie when when analyzing hockey at this point. It's just, it's always atrocious. Um, but the Canadian special teams weren't good. Um, they gave up a goal. Uh, Kirby Doc took a hooking penalty. It was a hook. The Canadians um, went to... The penalty kill, they gave up a goal. They challenged it for goalie interference. Honestly, it's a coin flip, like most of them are. The league said that the goal stood. The Canadians went on another penalty kill, and they gave up another power play goal. And the game kind of just unraveled from there. Um, the second and third periods were an entirely different story because the officiating got to a point where it was literally dangerous to play the game. Um, you had... Sam Bennett taking a run at, at, uh, at Jordan Harris by going knee on knee very much intentionally. You could see it play out. Um, Jack, I got a misconduct at the end of the second period, which I think was just because they knew it would start problems in the third. And sure enough, I think it was his second shift back in the third period after his misconduct. He, I mean, he barely even put a hit. He even bar he barely even made a hit on a Florida Panther player. And Giovanni Smith comes barreling into him in the slot and hits him. And then they kind of just stare at each other for a few seconds and they start fighting. Um, Mike Matheson threw a really, really, really dangerous reverse check on Eric Stahl that knocked him out of the game in the first, was it the first period? It was very early on in the game. Um, at least it feels like it was, it feels like it was six games ago, honestly, just how many things occurred in this game. He went shoulder into head on, Eric Stahl, and I, you know, 
I don't expect a major to be called there, but you could kind of understand if they did. He put his shoulder into a guy's head, and Eric Stahl went down and got back up and instantly fell back down because he was very, very, very much obviously concussed. Um, so that's that that hockey game was brutal. Um, it sucked. There's not really much to take away from it. This is the the only time I'll talk about it, really. Um, and then I'm just going to pretend like it didn't happen because I don't necessarily. I just don't think that, th- that a game that has 90 minutes in combined penalties has any kind of bearing on where this team will be three years from now. So we're going to move past that. Um, and even ahead, even before this, um, Montreal was already having a pretty eventful week. They had back-to-back wins against the, the, the Rangers and the best of the West Winnipeg Jets. Um, and then on Wednesday morning, right before Kent Hughes took the podium for his midseason press availability, the Canadians announced like half their rosters hurt and it will likely derail the positive momentum that they have going at the moment. The Panthers game completely aside, although they did lose, um, but I don't think they lost because of those injuries. They lost for a whole rash of other issues. Um, but unfortunately, those injuries are probably the best place to start this episode because I think it sets the stage for the rest of the season. Um, all of these um, you know, announcements that start with the player's name, I'm pulling these directly from the Canadians' website, so I'm not parsing words here. This is what the Canadians said with regards to these players. Yuri Slavkovsky suffered a lower body injury that does not require surgery. He will be out for three months. Now this is me talking. Essentially, that, that takes Slavkovsky out for the balance of the regular season meaning that his rookie season is likely over. Um, it's disappointing for a lot of reasons. Uh, first, players being hurt sucks. It's just, it's brutal. It, it, you don't like seeing it. I know that, you know, there are people who want to see this team lose games. And while, you know, I, I've said it in the past that like, you know, and I kind of tiptoed around it, injuries happen to hockey teams and it leads more often than not, unless you're the Pittsburgh Penguins for some reason, it leads to losing hockey games. And it's not something you're cheering for. You're not cheering for injuries, but it's something unavoidable within a contact sport. Um, so I'm not never rooting for a player to be injured, especially the guy that Montreal needs to see develop the best. Um, second, outside of a few stretches of noticeably strong play, we didn't really see a ton of, of Slavkovsky's best. Um, St. Louis often played him in the bottom six, and sat him for entire periods at a time. Um, the sitting, the benching for you know entire periods wasn't as often, um, but it did happen. There were moments where he looked like he deserved more of an opportunity, and there were moments where it looked like he needed to be playing in Laval. Towards the end of his season here in the last few games, um, the we we saw more of those moments where he needed where people were coming to the the realization that he sh- probably should be playing in Laval. Um and I go back and forth on that. Um Hughes talks about it in his press conference, so I won't get it into it too much here, but I will talk about it later when we, I break down, you know, the, the the main points of of Kent Hughes's um talking points, but this season for Slavkovsky was about learning the NHL game at NHL speeds. Um, that's likely why they kept him in the NHL as long as they did. And while I can at least understand that perspective, 
and I kind of even agree with it, it doesn't make what we saw on a nightly basis all that easy to digest. Um, he really he really struggled out there. Um, maybe that struggle ends up being help, helpful in the long run. Um, I've said this on a few occasions to this point. I will not hold this organization accountable for what the last front office did. I, you know, constantly I'm seeing, you know, that it's Kotkinami all over again. But I just, I don't buy it. I know why people are saying that. I know why people think that. I cannot bring myself to be in that mindset because I don't think that it has any basis in reality. Um, it's the same people, you know, if the same people were in charge right now as they were with Kotkaniemi, perhaps I believe it. But I feel like a lot of people just yell out the word development and expect it to just prove every point that they make. You know, well, he needs to go down to Laval because he needs to develop. He needs to go to World Juniors because he needs to develop. There's more to development than just playing hockey games. There are more resources in Montreal for Slavkovsky, and the Canadians want to have a close eye on the player that they invested a really valuable piece of draft capital in. So it sucks that he's hurt. There's still development that can be done from him watching games and being around the training staff. Um, so, you know, I, I, his development while he's not playing games and it's certainly nowhere close to, you know, the things that he would be doing if he was playing games, um, it's not over, you know, well, I'm really looking forward to seeing him in training camp next year, getting, you know, he's going to be well-rested getting into training camp, playing a, uh, a, a reasonable amount of hockey at that point. Um, we'll, we'll see what they decide to do. Does he go to the AHL? Does he start in Laval? Is he in Montreal with, with a better role? Um, you know, they, Hughes has talked about, well, you know, we'll leave that for later because Hughes' talking points on Slavkovsky kind of tie this up nicely. So teaser for later in the show. Um, Jonathan Druin suffered uh, an upper body injury on January 12th against Nashville. He will be out until the All-Star break. Um, the Habs have a bye week immediately after the All-Star break, so realistically, the next time we may see Jonathan Drew and his February 11th against the Islanders. Um, also worrisome here is that, you know, they said the injury occurred on January 12th against Nashville. Jonathan Drew played two more games on that injury and then was a game-time decision against Winnipeg before they ruled him out. He went from game time decision to see you in a month overnight. I know they're running out of bodies. There are options f so that they do not have to play injured players. Even if you wanted to go 11 forwards and 7 defensemen, there were three waiver eligible players, or there were three players that went through waivers this week who could have been claimed. Um, Jacob Lucini was on waivers from Ottawa. He cleared. He was on waivers on Tuesday. He cleared them Wednesday afternoon. He's on a league minimum contract. The Canadians could have made that work. And then on Wednesday, two more forwards went on waivers. Michael McCarron, who should honestly really just be left alone at the moment. He just he just got out of the player assistance program. As much as Montreal needs a body, it's probably best for McCarron to not have to go anywhere for the time being. Um, but there was another one in Vinny Henestrosa 
he makes $1.7 million a season, but with all the money the Canadians have on IR and long-term IR, they should have been able to make that waiver claim. And they didn't, meaning they're okay with playing 11 forwards and 7 defensemen and having no backup plan. But regardless of what that plan is, playing Jonathan Drouin while he's injured and while you know he's injured is not a reality. It should not be a reality for this hockey team. So all of that aside, for Drouin, this stinks. He had a three-point night against the Predators, immediately gets hurt, and now he has to wait another month to get back in. I'm always rooting for Jonathan Drouin, the, the player, the guy, the human. Um, so this one sucks. We'll see if he can sort of, you know, keep that momentum coming out of the injury, but it, it it's so far removed from what's important at this point with Jonathan Drouin. His health has just really, you know, hampered him. Essentially every year he's been in Montreal. Um, Jake Allen has an upper body injury. He will be out a minimum of a week. The minimum here is interesting since no other player in this release had that qualifier. Um, I think Montreal's kind of unsure about this one and they want to give themselves a cushion to bring Allen back when he's fully ready. Um, the play of Montembeau at the moment makes that easier because he's playing pretty well. The Florida game aside, which I don't really even blame him for. Um, but we're like, we're currently one step removed from NHL starting goalie Caden Primo, which is worrisome. Like that's a, that's a problem. Um, Primo actually came in in relief in the third period against Florida, which I was kind of against because why would you put him into that mess? It was a complete, you know, it was a complete sideshow from the midway point on. It was kind of silly to put him in there. They're kind of lucky that it. I think he only gave up one, um, but still, still not a great, a great look. Anyway, two more players. Yoel Armia has an upper body injury. He will be out until the All-Star break. Another guy who was just starting to put it together. You know, he's, he's, he's looking better in his shifts. He's, he's being more productive from a points perspective. Um, Jacob Truba should have gotten at least a two-minute minor on the play that injured Armia. Um, they're at Madison Square Garden. Armia is skating through center. He sidesteps a Truba check. And it, it very clearly, to me at least, looks like Truba was upset that Armia slipped past him. And so he elbowed him in the ribcage. Um, which, you know, is a really lame thing to do from any player. But, like, Jacob Truba, like, he lacks any any level of respect for his opponent. He does something like this every few games. Like, we're not that far removed from from him trying to put his forearm through Jujar Kara's forehead. It's a complete he has a complete lack of respect for the players he plays against and he goes out there every night with the intention of hurting somebody. And it's it's wild to me that the Rangers have Chris Kreider and I find Jacob Truba far more despicable. I think it's because he's their captain because it makes it an indictment on like the entire franchise. That 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 was he's he's one of the more despicable players in the league who flies under the radar for whatever reason. He's the captain of a of a team that plays at Madison Square Garden and no one seems to, you know, really notice that he's a massive scumbag on the ice. Anyway, I just had to get that out of my system. Army assigned his contract and then proceeded to have the two most rotten years of his career. It's another guy that I'm just pulling for at this point. Um, you know, asset value completely set to the wayside you know you're just hoping that a guy gets healthy and 
stops having an absolutely miserable time. Um, Jake Evans suffered a lower body injury that does not require surgery. He will miss eight to 10 weeks. That prognosis feels far better than I thought it was going to be. Um, that keeps him out till until mid-March, so we'll probably see Evans again. Um, but again, another player who is playing some really good hockey uh, before getting hurt. He leaves a big hole down the middle for this team. Monahan should be back soon-ish, although it's never clear with the Canadians. They're not they're not great at disclosing um, and then sticking to injury timelines. They they they're you know downright terrible at it. I would say. Um, so who knows? But you know, down the middle now it's Suzuki, Doc, um, and Dvorak, and the third line or the fourth line doesn't have a center at the moment because it's really just shuffling in different wingers around on the other lines. Um, so the injuries are tough. It's it's a really brutal situation for the Canadians to be in. It feels very reminiscent of um, last year about this same time when not only were they dealing with injuries, they were dealing with COVID consistently. Um, it's not as bad as that, so I don't want to you know say that it's the exact same thing. But it, the feeling is the same that you know we've got a, a really big slog of a schedule still to be played, and we're gonna have to do it without a lot of players. And we don't even know who's going to end up getting hurt moving forward. Um, so it stinks. I know that there's pro tank people. I consider myself among them, if not you know one of their more ardent supporters. Um, I'm never rooting for injuries. It's not. It's just not. It's not reasonable. Um, so with that out of the way, um, chron- chronologically it makes sense because they announced the the injuries and then Kent Hughes spoke. This press conference is going to be the bulk of the rest of the episode. I will do um, building blocks and the, the drawing board at the end. But I feel it's worth mentioning every time Kent Hughes speaks. I really like the way he gets his message out. He's, he's you know, calculated and careful, but he doesn't give non-answers to everything. Um, some things get non-answers when it makes sense for him to do so, um, which I'll get into some of those momentarily. But he's not like Lula Morello. Um, and I think it was the the Habs Reddit Twitter account who said, you know, something along the lines of, it's really nice having a general manager who doesn't, you know, turn these these press conferences into a one-on-one altercation because they, they're so defensive about the, the questions they're being asked. Um, it, I, I really do just enjoy hearing Ken Hughes speak. Um, the biggest point of emphasis I thought in this one was the, the development of Uri Slavkovsky, which makes sense. It's going to be a topic of conversation until, you know, he either becomes what they envisioned him as when they drafted him, or it becomes abundantly clear that he won't achieve that. And for all intents and purposes, his on-ice development for this season is over. Um, but I liked what Hughes had to say about the way Slavkovsky was brought along this season. Um, I'm sure they're they're answering a lot of questions, you know, externally about should he have gone to the American Hockey League? Should he have even played in the NHL this season? Um, he talked about development being done in stages. Um, you know, instead of getting 10 things to do all at once, they work with younger players on one or two things at a time. And then pulling all of those pieces together is complicated. He gave an example of what he would tell to young prospective clients when he was talking about development. And I'll paraphrase here because it's kind of long. He said, if I saw the way you walked in, you walked in and I said, I don't like how your left foot goes in and your right foot goes out. And I gave you 10 strides to focus on that and fix it. 
You probably could. But if I gave you three balls and told you to juggle them while walking the way I taught you to, you'd probably revert back to your old way of walking. Trying to do that in the NHL is like trying to do those things on a highway and being told not to get hit by a car. You'll probably revert back to the way you used to do things because it's just muscle memory and you're trying to just survive in a situation like that. Um, this example was especially interesting to me because it sheds a little light on why Slavkovsky might take so many big hits. And I've talked about it on this show and I think I came to the same conclusion. He's focused on what they want him to work on. He's focused on, you know, he's hyper-focused on the puck. He's hyper-focused on the battle that he's in. And he loses a bit of his instinct since what he's focusing, focusing on isn't instinctual. It was you know, him trying to do what the coaching staff and the development team want him to do. Um, all of this to say that I feel very confident that there is a plan in place for Slavkovsky. Um, this injury probably, you know, derails that plan slightly. Um, and you may disagree with it, that plan. At times, I think I do too. There is part of me, and I, I'm on record with on this show saying as much, there's part of me who kind of wished that they kind of just sent him back to Finland to play for a year and just kept him out of this mess. Um, but regardless of whether or not I, I, I always agree with the plan that's in place for Slavkovsky, and I might question it at times, this idea that there is no plan in place for him, I feel like is, is misplaced. Um, I, all of this, I think, culminates in one of the first things he said with regards to Slavkovsky and that there's w more than one developmental path. Slavkovsky's might seem odd in comparison to the other first overall picks, but nothing about his development coming into Montreal was normal. He was an Olympic MVP as an 18-year-old on a gold medal winning team. There are no first overall picks who have done that. I understand that you know, th this year, that, that Olympic tournament was different, but just the fact that he was even playing in it, it's because of all of the, everything in hockey was screwed up by the pandemic. And there are positives to that, like him getting to play in that tournament. And there are negatives to it, like maybe not getting as much time at the rink as he would have liked. The pandemic probably altered a lot of these guys' paths to the NHL in ways that we have, we don't really fully understand yet. Could Slavkovsky have gone down to Laval to work on production? Sure. But Hughes, and, and he mentions this, you know, or at least he, he, you know, I get this this feeling from him that, like, production for production's sake doesn't have a ton of value to him. And he did note that, like, sending him down to Laval with the expectation that he will produce comes with added pressures for him to produce. You know, that, to me, says that in Montreal, he had no pressure to produce. They were kind of like, we want you to focus on stuff. If you score, you score. It's not the end of the world. So I, you know, I do agree with Hughes that there's not just one path for Slavkovsky to become the player they think he'll be. But at the same time, I do think it's important for everyone involved, the, you know, the organization, the coaching staff, the fans, the media, it's important to see growth in his game throughout a season and year over year because the spotlight on him is always going to be bright. And this is not a forgiving market. And if it's Montreal's prerogative to have him in the NHL, they better be really, really sure that this is the right thing to do. 
and I say the spotlight's always going to be on Slavkovsky, unless Montreal wins the lottery this year and we draft Bedard, then the spotlight's going to go to him and it'll kind of take pressure off of Slavkovsky. But that's a, you know, there's there's only a few, you know, there, there, the chances of that happening are very low. Just reasonable, even if Montreal finished dead last, the chances of that happening are very low. At any rate, Slavkovsky getting injured is not one of the development paths that leads anywhere. So, like I said earlier, hoping he takes the time, rest up. I hope he watches a lot of tape. I hope that, you know, the, the team doesn't just send him home, like that they're working with him on things off the ice. Um, and I hope he's ready for training camp next fall. That's all you can really hope for at this point. Other than that, Caulfield's contract um, was a, a topic of conversation, rather, although it was rather short. It's obvious the Canadians want him here, and I think it's obvious that, that Caulfield wants to be here. This is going to get done. Hughes didn't give us much here because there's not much to give. But I really, I doubt we'll see Caulfield even get to his qualifying offer. I, I think that the more he scores, the more that price is going to go up. There's a prob- there's incentive on both sides to get it to that point where they can, they can you know, sign a deal and make Caulfield a Canadian for the next eight seasons. Um. One of the more surprising things was that he was kind of sees Sam Montembeau as part of the core now, um, at least for the time being. He he said that you know he's not he he's not interested on um, he's not interested on in trading Montembeau this season. Um, he's got a good goalie on he's got good goalie on bad team numbers. Um, coming into play on Thursday night, which I'm sure it looks a lot different now. He had a nine twelve save percentage. Um, which is decent in today's NHL. Like that's that's a really good save percentage for an NHL starting goaltender. Um, but he had a 3.05 goals against because the team is bad. Um, here and I'll read Hughes' line directly here because I think it's you know it, it it gives us a little bit more information. We want to keep him here. He's having a good stretch right now. He's still a young goaltender in the NHL. We can't necessarily predict the future for Sam with a smaller sample size of games. But he definitely has potential. He still has a lot of things to experience as a goalie. But we see his potential. Sam definitely isn't going anywhere. I scoffed at the idea that Montembeau was a young goalie, but he kind of is. He won't be 27 until next season starts. He was only He's only had 20, 67 starts in his career, 68 after Thursday's game. It's entirely possible that Montembeau is figuring out how to be an NHL starter at this point in his career. It's not unheard of. I mean, Jack Campbell did it in Toronto with LA and then Toronto, and now at Edmonton, he's completely forgotten how to play goalie. But, you know, for a goalie to hit their stride later on in their career, it's not unheard of. Um, And if that's the case, cool. It's a piece the Canadians don't have to worry about. Um, Even if he's not a long-term solution in that, even if he's just a stopgap starter before they can find their next franchise goalie, maybe he is their next franchise goalie. I think the chances of that are low, but they're not zero. Um, I have my doubts about Montembeau, as does Kent Hughes, because he mentions the sample size. He mentions that we haven't seen a ton of him yet. But let's see how he handles the rest of the season, because I think at this point, even when Jake Allen comes back from his injury, whenever that may be, I think the net might belong to Montembeau. He's been the better goalie. So... That was a that was a really interesting part of that I, that isn't getting a ton of play, 
But I think it's it's fascinating because the Canadians, one of the, they have a ton of holes in their lineup, which I'll get to momentarily. But he, there's a there's a success story here in in goal that might end up being a long term plan, but we have to see it play out. Um, Hughes was asked what his best achievements and challenges have been since he took over um, a year ago. It's been almost exactly a year since he was named the general manager of the Canadians. And for his achievements, he, he did what leaders often do, and he mentioned the team because that's what, you know, that's that's a hockey thing. But, you know, he's happy that he's built a team, you know, a front office where people are happy to come to work, but people are held accountable and that they aren't afraid to challenge one another when it comes to ideas. Um, that's that's big because you don't, you know, hockey hockey men have a tendency to surround themselves with with yes men. And to hear that, you know, at least from his perspective, that that's not the case is is um, encouraging. <laughs> For his challenge, he seemed pretty exasperated. Um, I'll read his quote directly. When you come into a situation like this where you're trying to build a team that can win on a sustainable basis, there's so much to do. And I think the challenge will be as we move forward, how do we give shape to it and how do we evolve this environment? The, you know, the quote, which is the name of this episode, there's so much to do, should give everyone on Team Rebuild a lot to cheer about. Hughes knows, Gorton knows, Molson knows, there's no quick fix for this. This is going to take a while. There is so much to do. And, you know, I think it's important here that, that Hughes, you know, I don't think he has a a goal in mind outside of winning the Stanley Cup, but how this team looks, I don't think that that's, you know, all that important at the moment. Or, you know, it's not, I shouldn't say important, but it's not, it's not his main focus right now. He has to build a foundation on which they can build a team. Um, and for right now, that's fine, right? This season is about collecting as much future value as you have, as you can, seeing the young guys that you already have in place, how do they react to new opportunities in the NHL, in the AHL, just players going from junior and college hockey to professional hockey, how do they make that jump? Um, heading into next season and the seasons that follow, the team is going to need to start to form an identity. I don't know what these Montreal Canadiens are. And I don't think Kent Hughes knows at the moment. And I don't think Jeff Gorton knows. I think that's, that's all still really up in the air. But for right now, there's a lot of change that needs to take place just internally. Like fixing the, the, the mess that was there beforehand. Notice he didn't say there's so much to add. He said there's so much to do. This team will change by subtraction well before it changes by addition. Which is what we all kind of expect this trade deadline and this offseason to be. And speaking of the trade deadline, he was asked about, you know, the current trade market. He says it's tough to make moves because of the salary cap, which everybody knows. Um, but he said he expects things to ramp up around the deadline. He shockingly did not say which players he would trade. It's, of course, sarcasm. But he did say that, you know, players who constantly find themselves in rumors, rumors are in constant communication with the GM and then he has an open door policy where, you know, players who, who are wondering what their future is can come and talk to him. 
Um, Hughes knows what this time of year is like for players, and he's been nothing but a player first GM since coming to Montreal. Um, that's, you know, it's a nice change of pace from seeing players as people and, and family people as opposed to just as assets. That's not a knock on any one hockey man. That's just a knock on professional sports as a whole. These people, these, these athletes are seen as assets. Um, overall, it's just real nice to hear from a general manager and not feel like it's a standoff between the GM and the media. That part on, on that aspect of this on my part cannot be undersold. I look forward to these press conference because these press conferences because I'm genuinely genuinely interested in what Hughes and Gordon think. That wasn't always the case when it came to whoever was behind that micro- microphone. In fact, I don't think it has been the case until now. So with that, let's let's I'll wrap on that that press conference. I thought it was I thought it was he gave him a lot of information without you know saying too 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 much. I do find his French to be rather funny because every once in a while he'll just say an English word in the middle of a sentence. Um, it's I feel like he's doing that for me. That's just you know not true at all, but also it's exactly true. All right, let's finish up here. We'll head back to the drawing board. There's one player here. It's Joel Edmondson. I think he's just going to live here now until he gets traded to Edmonton. Um, I don't see him playing his way out of here. Nor do I think that's really the intention. They're not developing a young player. This is just who Joel Edmondson is at this point. I, I legitimately struggle to watch him play hockey. It's difficult. He's consistently one of the worst defensemen with the puck. Without the puck, he never has his man. Just awful. There was a goal. I forget what goal it was even in the Florida game. But Barron has his guy going back to the net. And Jesse Ullinen is is taking his guy back to the net. And Edmondson is just standing in at the faceoff circle. I think the closest player to him was probably six or seven feet away. Like, he's just, he's brutal. And for what it's worth... You know, we talked about a while, like a few episodes ago, about how Edmondson and Gallagher kind of filled their diapers about, you know, the Canadians being bad. I have to go. I'm going to check right now, actually. I don't think I think Joel Edmondson took one minor penalty and that was it. And I'm not saying that he should fight or whatever. But like, if you're here, what are you here for? I'm pulling out the game right now on my phone. We'll see how this went. Edmondson, two minutes in penalties in that whole game. He's supposed to be one of the guys standing up for his younger players, standing up for Jordan Harris when he gets run. He just, he wasn't there. He was completely absent. Some team is going to trade a first round pick for him. And that GM should be fired the second it happens. And playing him with Justin Barron, which we saw a lot of against Florida, is a disaster. I don't know how you're supposed to... I don't know how you're supposed to analyze a player or or watch a player like Justin Barron develop when you stick him next to Joel Edmondson. 
I will end this segment on Joel Edmondson by saying we all owe Jeff Petrie an apology. The year that they went to the cup final, Petrie carried Joel Edmondson and made him look like an NHL defenseman. And now that Edmondson has to carry that that you know that that load himself, he is just not effective. So, you can mail all of your apologies to Jeff Petrie. Um, that was the only player I had back to the drawing board because I think things have been going kind of well. Um, building blocks. I've got four of them. Um, I'm going to start with Sam Montembeau. I've already been talking about him. If I'm Marty St. Louis, regardless of when Jake Allen comes back, I think that's, I think Sam Montembeau is the Canadian starting goalie. Um, in his last five games heading into Thursday night, so the Panthers game excluded because that was bonkers. Montembeau had a 9.52 save percentage and a 1.75 goals against average in his in the five games preceding Thursday night. Even Hughes mentions the sample size, and you know they won't make any big decisions based off of that. But being the starting goalie of this Canadians team isn't putting too much on Sam's shoulders at this point. Uh, I know good goaltending has negative implications for the tank, but developing a potential starting goaltender could be a positive as well. And I don't think he's necessarily going to steal a ton of games for the Canadians down the stretch. He just I just don't think he'll be the reason they lose games. Which is what I've been advocating for when it comes to goaltending since this podcast started. Um, so, it, you know, I gave I give Sam I give Montembeau a lot of flack for some of the games that he has. He's been really really good lately. Um, Kirby Doc, I'm eating so much crow on Kirby Doc, man. What did I say at the beginning of the year? I think I said 35 points is a high water mark. We're halfway through the season and he's at 29. On pace for about 50 points over the course of a season. I literally said in the the you know my my podcast segment talking about the expectations for Kirby Doc. I kind of scoffed at the 55 point pro- projections. I don't think I think that's rather optimistic. I don't know if that's necessarily a, a reasonable expectation for him. He's on pace for at least headed into Thursday night. He was on pace for 52 points. And not only is he scoring at a pretty nice clip. For someone who's about to turn 22 literally this week. Um, he's doing so as a center. And it, whatever line he's on seems to be Montreal's best line. When he's with Caulfield and, and Suzuki, that's the best line. When he's m- lining, you know, he's manning his own line at center, that line is the best line. Um, the the dock trade so far is the biggest move that Hughes has made. And it's been an absolute home run. It's worked out really, really well. To the point where, you know, where I don't, I'm not even looking at Alex Romanoff. I'm not looking at, you know, who did Chicago end up getting? Um, I can't remember. I'm sure you guys are screaming about it. I'm not looking at that player. I don't even know his name. See? See what I mean? Doc, just the value he provides on his own made all of that worth it. So tidy work by... uh. Kent Hughes, and I'm eating crow on that, and I'm very, very happy to. I'm, I'm really excited that the Canadians have a, a player like Kirby Doc. All right, two more. I have Evgeny Dodonov. He's been getting hot as of late. He had strong games against Nashville and New York. He grabbed two goals against Winnipeg. Um, look, I don't think Dodonov's long for this team. At, at most, he plays until the end of the year in, in Montreal. 
I do think that a team will trade for him at the deadline. Um, but him playing will benefits himself and the team. I'm glad he's finding that scoring touch again. He he hasn't been the player that we thought he would be. Um, but he's been he, the last few games. He's been very very good, and I'm glad to see that he's scoring goals again because that that. When a player like him, who's supposed to score goals, goes a long time without them, it it just it weighs on a player. And the last one I've got in our building blocks is Justin Barron. Uh, look, he had a rough half, first half to this year. Um, training camp was rough. He really didn't stand out in a crowded um, defensive field. His start in Laval was tough. That whole team struggled out of the gate. He struggled offensively. He eventually caught on in the AHL. He was starting to play really well. Um, they called him up. He was a little slow to start his call up. I mean, he played. I was I, I, I had a hard time with it when it happened. But like they, Marty calls him. They call him up, and Marty plays him against Tampa in their first game in Tampa. Not exactly setting the kid up for success. But now he's putting it together, regardless of who's playing next to him, as bad as Joel Edmondson has been. Look, he's not perfect defensively. He's still not great. He makes some questionable decisions with the puck. Um, but offensively, I feel like he's been getting stronger. The two-point effort against Winnipeg was really nice to see. His assist on Dodonov's goal was nice. Um, just fired a, a, a perfect one-timer pass to Dodonov down low. Um and you know he was first night he was first star on a night where he played against his brother and both his parents were in the in the building that's it's a cool story and you know on a team like this a season like this cool stories are are worth a lot more than we give them credit for hopefully it's a sign of things to come i do think that you know if this defense line his defensive core gets healthy he probably finds himself back down in laval um you know to no detriment of 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 his own um you know i think I think that's just the best place for him right now. But having him in Montreal is not a bad thing. All right. I think that's all I have for this week. I kind of like this late night one. It seemed to go by pretty quick. Um, next week, I think, will be a, um, a year in review for Kent Hughes. Um, I want to talk about the things he's done since taking over. How those things have positioned the Canadians for long-term success. Um, and potentially try to, you know, maybe predict some some moves that that he may make in the future. Um, but for now, thanks for listening. I always appreciate it. Um, if you're on Facebook, I've created a Facebook page. The at is at the build MTL. Um, come support the show there or wherever you post about the things you like. I'm not picky. Just be nice. Um, doesn't even mean you have to like it. Just be nice to me. Um, that's it. The music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing now is Inside by Fred Bug. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page where you can check out the rest of his stuff. Alright guys, thanks again. See ya. See ya.